I'm sure all of you out there listening have heard of Dubai, the city that we all see in the blockbuster movies, probably most famously from Fast and Furious when they ramped a car from one building to the other. The city of, of gleaming towers and, and shiny marble, the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world. Well, today we're going to be talking to someone who played an integral role in shaping the core, the nucleus of that city into what it is today and transforming it into the economic powerhouse that it is today. So today we have with us Chirac Shah. Chirac is the CEO of One International Fin Center Associates. And prior to that, he was the Chief Strategy and Business Development Officer of the Dubai International Financial Center, which is the topic of our conversation today. He has a long track record prior to that of working with American Express, KPMG, Arthur Anderson, and many others. But the focus of our story today is going to be focused on building what is, in my opinion, the coolest and by all objective metrics, one of the most successful financial centers in the world. So with that, Chirac, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, you mentioned about Fast and Furious being shot there and you got the DIFC gate at just at the backdrop uh, for yourself. Uh, in fact, even Mission Impossible was shot there. And, you know, uh, Tom Cruise, he flies from Burj Khalifa straight into DIFC, that <laughs> same building. I had the privilege of seeing that shooting. It That's took awesome. A week <laughs> for a two minute shot. <laughs> oh, man, that is fantastic. So you saw them shoot that live, huh? I did. I did. Yeah. That's amazing. That's right, amazing. right, right on the gate, right on the gate. Yeah. Wow. Um, so with that, Chirac, I'd love to hear actually, speaking of that story, kind of the story of Chirac Shaw. How did you, um, how did you end up going from working in finance and, uh, at, like I said, at American Express and KPMG and Arthur Anderson to kind of leading strategy and business development at this, this Dubai International Financial Center? So, uh, you know, it's a funny story, actually. I, I grew up as a child in Dubai, and that was in the 80s and 90s. And uh, Dubai was a very different place then. It was a boring place. It was a small, uh, you know, port and a town and, and growing, but, but still not international, not aspirational, and so on and so forth. And I, 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 was, I moved to Mumbai, and in, in the 90s, India was kind of opening up, and the financial sector was opening up big time over there. I joined Anderson Consulting, which was a top-notch top consulting firm that helped in a lot of transformation of that industry. And then uh, in the mid-2000s, around 2004, I, I was flying to New Zealand, and I flew via, via Dubai, and I, I looked at what was happening in the city. And it, I was just shocked to see how it had developed and progressed. More, more so, uh, I, uh, at, that, at that trip, I also met a few business colleagues who, who mentioned that Dubai aims to become a financial center and is going to do these exciting things. And I said, wow, that sounds amazing. As in, you're going to build a financial city from scratch. As somebody uh, well, uh, who understood the financial industry well, uh, I could see the benefit of doing something like that and how it can transform the landscape, not only for the country, but for an entire region, which was in need of a financial uh, uh, industry that served uh, as an international industry for the region. And, and, and I reached out to those people who were at the government looking at doing DIFC, and then they said, your experience is, is right on tap for what we're looking to do because uh, transforming the financial sector is is what we're trying to do, and and that's 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 how it started. And I said there can be nothing more important than being 
part of a journey that's going to have a very high impact. It's something like what you guys are doing, you know, making a difference, uh, uh, doing something that can have a lasting impact on the livelihoods of people, making business more uh, friendly, accessible, uh, and of course, bringing in uh, professionalism, uh, governance of, of a stature and standard that's not available in the region. Got it. Thanks for that, Sharad. So I joined them, and then yeah, and I joined them, and I was there for the first twelve years, uh, from from the from uh, from early on till uh, till the time it then reached uh, to become at the top ten centers, financial centers in the world, uh, from from nowhere. Awesome. Um, oh, I am extremely curious about this. As you can imagine, with what we're working on at Prospera, the overlap is extremely high. And um, even before I started working at Prospera, I was fascinated by Dubai. Um, Precisely because it's like this, uh, it's always it's like this urban paradise of kind of what I've always dreamed of this cyberpunk future of these super tall buildings and big highways and stuff like that. I just love it. Um, I have some questions relating to kind of what I would call the software side, which most people would consider the governance side, and then Max has some as it relates to kind of the physical built environment side as an architect. So my first question, Shirak, is kind of an open-ended one. Um, so I know in the DFC, you have three main uh, governmental bodies within that special economic zone. You have the, the International Financial Center Authority, you have the Dubai Financial Services Authority, and you have the DIFC courts. Can you explain to me, especially those first two, uh, the kind of jurisdiction they have relative to one another and how the three interplay together to create one of the best environments for doing business in the world? Yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, at the DIFC, like what you do here at Prospera, uh, we, we, we created a new country uh, when it came to setting up companies and regulating and doing business, right? So when you're doing that, uh, all the, the other authorities that are in the local environment are disapplied and they don't have any jurisdiction over there. So you have to create something that kind of addresses all the requirements of any business to operate. So think of it as uh, those, you mentioned about three authorities. So the courts is pretty clear. They're, they, they, they come in when there's a dispute or something like that, right? So that's, that's one part of that. Uh, but, but when it comes to uh, the other parts of the government, uh, everything is done by the DIFC authority, which is the core uh, operating authority, except for financial service regulations and uh, uh, supervision. And that is done by the Dubai Financial Services Authority. So think of um, this as uh, the DFSA is the combination of the Fed and the SEC and all the financial regulators that the US has, or for example, in UK, you have the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority and the Bank of England playing the role of regulating the financial industry. But in addition to that, you have everything else, right, which the government performs, whether it is issuance of visas, uh, registration of companies, giving trade licenses, um, uh, municipal functions, uh, land registry functions, building permits, everything else. So everything else that the government would normally do as a regulator of business, of, 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 uh, of activity that's happening over there, would be done by the DIFC authority, which is the the, 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 the center operating body. So that's that's how broadly we kind of structure the work. And each of these three independent authorities are independent of each other. So that allows uh, to have that balance. So if, if somebody's overstepping the balance, 
you know you have the courts to obviously to kind of uh, adjudicate on these matters but otherwise you you have very clear responsibility of what you're doing and and that that's very critical especially for financial industry you need quite clear independent regulators um, that can can be free of commercial interests when they are uh, regulating these uh, financial firms Got it. That makes sense. And um, obviously, working at Prosper, I know firsthand how difficult. Can I hear you? Sorry. Yeah. No. Can you Can you hear me now, Shurak? Yes, I can hear you now. Excellent. Um, so I have a follow up question to that because working uh, at Prosper, as as you know, we're doing something similar. I know how difficult and expensive it can be to kind of build some of these registries from the ground up, or in the financial industry, for instance, what you guys did over there at the DIFC to kind of build it. One of the world's most effective, in fact. Um, regulatory uh, and um, enforcement groups, really. Um, but those people, those financial specialists, especially to stop money laundering, et cetera, um, are often not cheap. Um, so my question is relating to funding. Is the DIFC self-funded, meaning that has like tax revenues from the jurisdiction that then go back to the DIFC authorities to, to operate their activities? Or does it receive a subsidy from the greater city of Dubai? And then further, is the DIFC itself um, or, or either of these authorities? Are they are these like nonprofits or are these like for-profits that are looking to grow? So two kind of interrelated questions there. Yeah, fantastic. As in, I'm glad you asked that because that's, that's one of the questions a lot of people don't get the answer to correctly. And then they, they hemorrhage themselves with costs and, and they effectively kind of uh, uh, sick. Uh, you have uh, after the DIFC or before the DIFC, a lot of financial centers or all of these jurisdictions springing up and they have no clarity on how they will sustain themselves. How, how are they going to uh, uh, make sure that they're covering all these costs of creating a new country? And that, that's a pretty, pretty uh, important question to ask and answer up front. Um, uh, having said that, you know, uh, you cannot have all kinds of regulatory bodies be profitable, right? As in all over the world, you have subsidies from the government and so on and so forth. And, and, and that may come from the larger pool of taxes typically governments collect and so on and so forth. Uh, the DFC was unique as in we offered uh, 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 from the day go uh, a 0% tax environment guaranteed for 50 years. So there was no tax to be collected. Even in the mainland UAE, there is no tax for uh, businesses anyways. Uh, but it, here it was guaranteed for 50 years. So the question is then how do you kind of make this sustainable, right? As in you, you, you obviously can't be charging people obnoxious amounts of, uh, you know, money for licensing fees to recover all your, all your costs. Now, so what was unique is that we embedded the real estate of that jurisdiction into the, the equation. So what, what, what happened is uh, the, 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 the government started with just allotting, assigning a plot of 110 acres to the DIFC authority. And uh, the DIFC authority uh, then had a commercial in, uh, company, uh, uh, a subsidiary that owned that 110 acres plot. And it used the proceeds of either the land sales uh, or uh, rental income from the, the revenues that are generated from, uh, you know, people coming in doing business there as a means to, um, uh, uh, let, I may say, investing in the regulatory environment and the, the business environment. And, and that was the model that uh, was very successful because it kind of enabled uh, you to provide world-class regulatory environment 
without actually collecting taxes. But at the same time, you're not subsidizing anything because that was just barren land. Now people are coming and working there and generating land sales and rental value out of that. Uh, and, and, and that was the case. The regulator, however, and the courts are, are separately funded by the government. Uh, 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 so that you you kind of keep independent of commercial interests of doing business. So the courts and the regulator gets uh, the funding from from the government, uh, and then the the the, the rest of the uh, uh, businesses of of the authority uh, generate revenue, which then again goes back to the government. In addition, of course, as you as you ramp up. You, you also get government revenues like uh, collecting, you know, transfer fees, uh, licensing fees, uh, you're processing visas for people. And so you get some amount of money from that. But that obviously is a slow ramp up because on day one, you start with one company, right? As in you don't start with 10,000 people working on day one. So that ramps up. And uh, uh, over a period of time, then that became and becomes a substantial component of the revenue as well, in addition to the real estate uh, uh, side of, of, of uh, uh, contributing to the expenses of the business. Got it. That makes total sense. It's almost like um, you're providing, it, we sometimes use this catchphrase within the company, but you're providing governance as a service effectively, which people are paying for as a service, the fee, the fee for accessing one of the best financial jurisdictions in the world or a fee for registering your property in there, et cetera. It's much more of a value for value exchange than your normal governmental interactions where you're sitting in a DMV for hours or whatever the case may be. I really like it. Yeah. In fact, in fact, you know, uh, that's how uh, the entire Dubai model is built on, uh, which, which, which is, which I call is the purest form of capitalism because it's like you pay for what you use. You don't pay a tax because you made profits, but you pay, if, you, if you're using electricity, it's not subsidized. It's at cost plus profit. You use it, you pay for it. If you're using space, uh, if you're buying land, whatever, you pay for what you use. You do not subsidize anybody else. Uh, no other business is actually benefiting because you're paying a higher fee because every business pays, uh, pays license fee, pays fees for employees. There is no discount given to anybody because you are from X company or you're from, you know, a particular society class or whatever it is. Uh, and, and that kind of makes it sensible for people to do business because you're paying for what you're using. If I use uh, air conditioning, I pay for it. If I don't use, I don't pay for it. It's as simple as that. Absolutely love it. And then one final note on this, then I'm going to hand it to Max to uh, talk about the built environment a little bit. Um, I also really love the alignment of incentives that this creates, uh, which some, a lot of people miss, I think. If you have a governing body, which profits in a way, or which put another way, is only financially sustainable if the businesses and people within that jurisdiction are also doing well, and they're also paying to use your services, which means you're providing value to them, and they in turn are providing value to you, then you have this alignment of incentives where the jurisdiction can't get worse because if it gets worse, then it starts running out of money really fast. They can't just rest on their laurels and say, oh, exit costs are really high. It's hard to leave Dubai and we have high taxes. So we don't actually have to do anything. People will just keep giving us money because they, they have to by law because there's such a high tax rate or whatever. They can't do that because the only revenue you guys are getting is real estate and then fee for service for these governance operations effectively. So I just love the alignment of in incentives that creates. It creates a guardrail on abuse of governmental power that is completely impossible with words on paper in a constitution, in my opinion. Yes, those are important, 
but nothing can can come close to the strength of that alignment of incentives. And and yes. you know, just to kind of uh, reiterate your point, uh, that's a model of many of these uh, upcoming or you know very successful economies like Singapore, Hong Kong, and and Dubai and the IFC, for example. As in, we would have a massive disincentive for every company leaving. As 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 I was leading the business development and strategy team. And then my KPIs were very clear. It's not just about getting new companies in uh, alone. It's also making sure two things, the existing companies grow and the existing companies don't leave. So how do we make an environment that is effective and more conducive for people not, not to just come in, but also to grow? Because their growth is the growth of the center. It's the growth of, it, of everything that we're trying to do. And the measure that we use eventually is not, you know, how many people work there, how many companies are set up. It is the contribution to the GDP that the financial district makes, uh, uh, because that's the most important KPI and for any country or any 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 economy, right? Yes. A quick question, uh, then I'm gonna hand it to Max. Do you know what that number is? Well, uh, it, it, when we did the last calculation, it, it was almost 3% of the GDP. That coming. is wild because Dubai's GDP so is, is 3, massive. $3 billion dollars of incremental GDP, uh, which, uh, uh, which was brought in from just a piece of land that didn't do anything. And, and to note for the American audience, that's 271 acres. That's creating $3 billion of value. I just love it. Go ahead, 110 Max. acres, actually, only. Oh, even smaller. Yeah. Yes, um, I, I'm very interested in those kind of things, uh, um, and, but especially in the, in the point of buildings, in the point of, of physical. As an architect, I'm very interested in the, in, the, in the building world. And I would love to know, did you build to suit or did you build first and then, and then go hunting for tenants after? And another question is related to this is, and did you coordinate the initial development or where were the other first, first firms master planning on building alongside you? Yeah, okay, that's a good question. It's like a chicken and egg question, right? What do you do? Uh, um, so uh, it also, it's also a test of, you know, what people expect from a new project, right? As in, uh, if you're as, a, as the lead anchor developing uh, the whole construct, not investing and developing, people are going to just laugh at you and say, you just want others to buy land and run away, right? As in, we, we can't invest in a, in a dream that you've, you, you're like creating unless you, are, you got skin in the game as well. And we wanted to have skin in the game. So uh, it was a mix of everything. As in, uh, from a commercial business standpoint, it was very, very important that we built the right kind of infrastructure that suited a very different class of businesses, which is the financial sector, needing very high, high quality, uh, uh, you know, commercial office space with a lot of requirements, whether it came to bandwidth or electricity consumption. You know, you have all these traders with massive screens requiring you know, a whole different world of specs when it came to the commercial space, right? It, it can't even just be primate. It has to be like a super, super uh, well-suited requirement. Um, uh, at the same time, this, the, the, the district had everything from residential to hotels and, and other things, which were then going to be linked with the development of the financial uh, construct. So in our early, early land sales, uh, the plots that were actually sold 
where some of them are mixed use, but some are residential, uh, some are hotels that are sold. So the, 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 the financial uh, center authority, or rather the, 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 the authority looking after the development of the financial, focused on only two things, developing commercial real, uh, uh, real estate and retail space. And, and of course the entire district and being the master plan of the entire district and managing that to a world-class standard. And for the rest of the plots, as a master developer, master developer, we put extremely high standards on all the developers on what they could do and what they couldn't do. And then we developed as the IFC authority, uh, the first set of commercial buildings, the one for the for one you see at the backdrop of, uh, of Trey is the first building that came up. And uh, that's, that's, uh, that's not a very commercially efficient building because obviously it's like a nice shape, but it's, 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 it's meant to be a iconic landmark. And, and, and which it continues to be. And you know, this is now more than 15, 16, 17 years old and it still looks the same as in, it looks as beautiful and stunning as it did when it was launched. And, and then around that we had uh, six more uh, 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 buildings uh, uh, which were built all office space buildings. And obviously uh, we, we had designed these buildings as uh, or these uh, uh, the the entire floor plates as you know something like a cake. You could take the entire floor plate and divide it into whatever you know a thousand square feet office, a twenty five thousand square feet office, a fifty thousand square feet office. Because we didn't know as in you know who's going to come and somebody may come with a requirement for ten thousand square feet, scaling it up to fifty thousand and go and so forth. So the entire all these buildings are designed with. Uh, uh, you know, in, in a fashion that you can actually just, you know, you, you want a specific, you have a specific requirement, we can cater to that. And so you had these uh, six commercial buildings around this main building that were there. And then uh, the next block of district had uh, around 10 to 12 uh, buildings, which were roughly like, uh, you know, seven to eight story buildings, uh, which, which again, of our commercial offices that could be kind of catered to for different requirements. In addition, we also, uh, you know, kind of uh, set up plug and play business offices like business centers. So firms that came in and they initially did not, you know, for the first one or two years uh, had a very small requirement could use that till they kind of ramp up the rest of their business requirements, but they can come and start their business right away. So that was the whole objective. You don't ask people to say, okay, now, you know, you signed up, now it'll take two years to build your office and come, come after two years. No, you start today, uh, we'll give you the business center offices for your plug and play work, and then you, you ramp up as you need. Very interested. And um, how about the design uh, profile? How about the aesthetics? How do you decide that? Because Dubai is known like the golden city. Um, there is a uh, like a pattern of design that you decide to put in, into the city or it's come it just come up here from the from the casualty yeah so uh, uh, for the, the financial district the dfc district is pretty large 110 acres it's just a bank and a bank next to downtown Burj khalifa the world's tallest tower and so on and so forth in fact, um, when I started the DIFC, that entire area of downtown was just barren land in 2004-05. There was nothing there. Burj Khalifa did not exist and it was just basically just barren land. And, 
and it was going to come up as you know but we obviously uh, the entire city knew the designs of every district and how things will look this was designed to look like a commercial district uh, and for doing so we had before you know looked at all the top financial centers in the world all the top business districts in the world studied how they looked and you know how how they behave what people liked what kind of businesses would you know what kind of retail businesses would be successful uh, and so on and so forth so uh, we, we kind of studied that extensively and 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 worked on our design with that uh, feel and so if you look at you know the the, the gate uh, uh, the gate building is a very artistic looking building but it also got a nice landscape around it where we keep big large artworks you know on on tour uh, uh, kept around Uh, big art galleries in the district uh, we have christies for example auction house there we have large uh, international and regional art galleries top end fine dining restaurants so you kind of you know you 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 give the 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 community what they want but it also enhances the profile of the district so it's it's nice of course to have you know uh, you know uh, fancy buildings but you also need to bring in that life and environment you know and while studying financial districts we also looked at some very boring cities when it came to you know doing business like frankfurt you have these stunning looking buildings but doesn't have a soul doesn't have life you know people don't feel uh, the vibe uh, as you would feel for example in london city or new york uh, and so on and so forth so we learned from the goods and the bad examples and kind of tried to bring in the best elements again uh, because you're going to you're trying to attract top end talent from around the world so when they, they land straight from manhattan or the land from city of london they need to feel that they've not kind of got downgraded they're they're right up there in their you know the class that they are operating in but doesn't mean that every district in the world has to do that because we were attracted a particular audience and so you got to see who is who's going to come down there and then make make it spec to that that design and you know to wow them yeah that makes sense um and a follow up to that and very related how did you guys structure the infrastructure and what i mean by that is something specific um obviously we've we've had to consider this at prospera and when you look at examples around the world from like china or elsewhere or in the us master plan communities whatever you seem to kind of have uh, a another chicken or egg problem or another ambiguity problem which is you want to build enough infrastructure initially to service the initial development and to enable future growth but you don't want to build day one for a billion person city or a million person city or whatever like a massive city because the capital outlays and maintenance cost of having that infrastructure before the people in the buildings are there is just massive like it's just completely unsustainable and we've seen these ghost city projects in china and elsewhere in the world fail for this exact reason they build up this massive infrastructure and then no one's there to use it so it just has this massive carrying cost and it and it dies effectively how did you guys solve that kind of um scaling problem let's call it, the infrastructure scaling problem let's call it in the difc yeah it's it's a very tricky problem and it's obviously a issue that one needs to tackle very well and we did that by a very strong planning of how the district will evolve uh in addition to our own projects and how we are developing every plot that sold uh, has a pretty clear this uh, 
a cycle of how and when they will build up. In fact, for the first, even after the first 10 years, uh, 40 to 50 percent of DIFC was not built, and it was plot still owned by the authority. So they didn't, you know, we didn't sell those, and we didn't develop that either, because obviously you can't develop everything and build the infrastructure for everything and expect everybody's going to come on day one. Uh, it's a ramp up and it keeps on growing, but there, there, you know, you need to follow that. At the same time, there are infrastructure costs which are associated, which we, we are not in the business of developing or maintaining or managing infrastructure. So we partner with, you know, the right partners. Uh, I'll give an example. In, in Dubai, you know, you, ha you need air conditioning. You need very strong air conditioning. Uh, you know, the temperature right now is like 130 degrees, right? So, and humidity, uh, I was running there for yesterday, was 100%. Uh, so it, it, is an, it is crazy and you need a lot of air conditioning. At the same time, if you look at the building behind, you don't see any air conditioning unit on, you know, sticking out because it, the entire district has got central air conditioning, right? And that's, there's, a, there's a central plant that, uh, that provides district cooling and uh, the, the infrastructure is wired that every plot gets its air, uh, cool, cool air from uh, from an outlet, and then they, when they build their own buildings, they take take that load from that cool that that load. So uh, we we partnered with a district cooling company and told them that this is the outlay over the next 15, 20 years of how buildings will be built and the capacity utilization. And please make sure that you provide the right kind of air conditioning at a particular fixed price, which goes up based on inflation as well as gas prices and water prices. Uh, and that is provided to all the buildings uh, in the district, uh, and so and so you kind of plan it in a way that it it, it uh, you know even the third party operator is not just ramping up and building crazy things because you know he knows you know when 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 he needs to build. And we as 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 a building developer, if I haven't built, then I need to pay for that infrastructure irrespective of utilization. So the contracts were structured such that you know you don't kind of have. Uh, one party paying because the other party is not using and your costs actually go up. So again, it's a fantastic pay-as-you-go pay model, but you know, you, you say what you want and we'll provide it to you, but then you pay for it even if you don't use it, right? And, and likewise, uh, whether it came to uh, electricity or, you know, uh, uh, you have government agencies providing electricity, but they, they kind of understand exactly how you're going to be ramping up and then provide the, uh, the required utilities. The telecom infrastructure, we've actually uh, made sure that nobody's digging up everything. So uh, the entire outlet, you know, the, the, the layout of all of the undergrounding uh, uh, tunnels were all laid out uh, up front. Uh, there is a you know beautiful truck tunnel that runs underneath this entire district, so you don't even have garbage trucks actually going around collecting garbage. They actually go down the tunnel. If nobody sees them. All these buildings are designed at the same podium level, ground level, underground level. So uh, all maybe 60, 70 towers in total eventually, but all of them will have the same uh, layout uh, underneath. So these, these uh, you know, there's consistency maintained. So it was a well-designed master plan, but also well-commercially run master plan. That makes a ton of sense. And I, I'm especially intrigued by the underground garbage truck thing, just because that's always such a problem. Like whenever I go to Manhattan, right, I'm like, oh, look at these beautiful gleaming glass towers. And there's just trash, on, literal just trash on the street. It's infuriating. Yeah. Uh, a follow-up question on that uh, infrastructure question, though. 
So Dubai is rather famous for, among many other things, um, some of the elements of kind of smart city technology that, that uh, the city employs and the DIFC is, is no different. Um, I'd love to hear one, what kind of smart city tech you guys use, and then two, how you plan for that as well. Because back in 2004, 2005, 2006, smart cities were barely a thing. It wasn't something, a buzzword like it is now and a kind of a hot topic like it is now. Um, but you guys were some of the first to pull it off. So what kind of tech do you guys have and how'd you, how'd you plan for it? Were you just, did you kind of see it coming early and see the advantage early or, or how did that work? No, so, uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, at, at, a, at an overall Dubai level, there's a fantastic effort on smart cities and doing things right and, and, and enabling technology to doing uh, a lot of things uh, for, 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 uh, for, for businesses, but for individuals, residents, and so on and so forth. So uh, while we are an independent authority, we, we do plug in with a lot of the government uh, agencies that are actually developing that. But at the same time, as in a lot of smart technologies are not infrastructure or physical, they're, they're software, they're you know, enabling businesses to do everything from registration to licensing to applications for visas on an electronic platform. So we have, uh, you know, over a period of time evolved from using X technology to Y technology to cloud technology to allow for businesses to do their registration and all these other business, their business requirements. Um, we've also kind of, you know, progressed for a simple thing like even parking using uh, no technology to smart gates to smart recognition to to move on so you know your your car number is totally you, you if you're registered car just your car car number plate is looked at by the camera and the gate opens you know it's as simple as that and 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 you know you kind of evolve and use technologies uh, but what we did is made sure that the entire district irrespective of whether it was owned by the DIFC or not or third party had to follow that same norm because you you know you can't let, you can't have like pockets of excellence and then you know some other developers or owners not using the same platform or technology uh, so irrespective of the ownership of these assets the the, the way these buildings are run managed had to for uh, you know follow a particular standard uh, and that was the uniform standard applied through uh, throughout the district I totally agree with with all with your all your vision. I would like to talk about Honduras since your visit in Honduras. What do you think about Honduras? Uh, I I I don't know if you remember you and I met in in San Pedro Sula uh, with a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah, I'm very interested in your answer related to the persons because I'm very interested in attracting top talent of the world to Prospera and to especially to Honduras and. How do you guys attract top talent to Dubai? And what is your per perspective in, in the, the Honduras people? I, I, I was amazed. I mean, to be honest, I had a very little idea about Honduras before I landed there. Uh, but when I reached and I, I, I went to three cities in Honduras mainland, I, I of course went to Rotan and, 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 and the lovely island and, and looked at the prospect and I said, you know what? This is amazing. It's, it's right in the middle of two continents. Uh, it's got, you know, multilingual capability. It's got a lot of natural resources. I mean, think of us in Dubai. We, we just have sand, very little resources. In fact, Dubai did not even have any oil and does not have oil, didn't have wealth. 
but it is basically said you know what we're going to build what's required for the rest of the world and make them feel wow this is what i need so if you build to suit you build the right kind of product that people need and then you have the right kind of environment that's enabling that uh, uh, to work you it has to work and then you when when i heard about all these lovely things that honduras has done in terms of reforming the constitutions allowing for these zas i said wow you know what the you know this is kind of even a step ahead of what dubai has done because it kind of create these private municipalities that 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 can effectively become like a new country in more than just a business respect it's on a larger scale and 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 then i went to rotan it's a stunning beautiful island uh, um, very friendly people all over honduras as well as in rotan and and you've got uh, the potential is immense and basically it's it's only we who can limit the potential because you you got everything you got connectivity to Uh, to united states you got an airport you got uh, you know uh, people uh, talent available that can be harnessed and you got the ability to create a jurisdiction from scratch a real estate environment from scratch and build it to uh, a world class level so essentially it's got all the right ingredients for becoming a very very successful construct that can be not only you know successfully implemented in rotan but also replicated around a lot of these markets and can be very powerful as well in in be, becoming a catalyst for economic growth. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um <clears throat> and just to follow up on that specifically, um well first I want to uh clarify to the audience um obviously Prospera is a municipality of Honduras, not a uh, a new country per se. Chirac, I know what you're driving at by that. It's new new governance institutions that work yes. a heck of a lot better than the Honduran institutions. I just wanted to clarify that for the audience. We in no way, shape, or form are insinuating that uh, Prosper is a new country. It's a, it's a municipality within Honduras. It's just a special economic zone, much the same way the DIFC is part of the overall, um, both Dubai municipality and of the United Arab Emirates. Um, but a follow-up question related to the labor component Max was just speaking about. Um, how, and especially because this was your role, so I'd love to hear about this. Um, how difficult was it to attract those initial uh, tenants and those anchor tenants, especially? Because... When you start off, right, you have even if you have a little bit of built environment, you have kind of a dream and you're having to prove to these first few tenants especially not just that you're a competent business, but that you're a competent government effectively too. Like they're test driving the system for the first time. They're your beta users for the software if you will almost. Um so how do you kind of uh sell it to them and how hard was it to get those first few businesses? So Yeah, I, I kind of structured it in two parts. It's probably you know one part is obviously getting them to sign up to join, and that is not the most difficult part. It, the most difficult part is getting them to actually expand and grow, because people might just sign up and say, "I'm going to set up an office with two people down there," right? Uh, because what's the risk? It's not too much of a risk, right? If I don't like it after one or two years, I go, but. when do i actually sign up to a, to be a very important committed player in the district or in in, in the region and that obviously is you know a factor of, of of course the business plans of these companies and what their aspirations are but also like you rightly said it's about looking at the system whether it is working testing it out and going through the motions 
you cannot get that on day zero. You, irrespective of whatever you put on paper and you know whatever you build, and you can bring in confidence by getting the right kind of people to look after that. You know when when it comes to the courts, our set of judges, our top-notch judges from different parts of the world, or the regulators, or the people running the district, and so on and so forth. Uh, but but that doesn't kind of answer all their questions and whether these will work, whether you'll be able to regulate properly, whether you'll be able to, uh, you know, the courts will function properly and so on and so forth. Uh, but people obviously see it and then they, they keep on investing. So you, you got to do both. You got to obviously bring them in and then make sure that they see the progression and, and demonstrate. So if you're doing your job correctly, uh, people will continue to grow and, and, and people will continue to, uh, uh, more people will continue to come. Um, but, the, but the key of, the key is that you, you a, demonstrate where you're going and then stick to, stick, to, stick, uh, stick to that plan. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and I just have two final questions for you, Shrek. First up, I'd love to hear your perspective as one of the uh, kind of original players in the space and the most successful What's your uh, prognosis and outlook on this type of zone-based development? Because obviously we at Prosper are a little bit biased. We think it's the future of humanity and the future of unlocking humanity's potential. Um, but I'd love to hear your perspective as someone who has done it before successfully. Yeah, you know, I, I think the beauty about such environments is that you're not trying to change the entire country or the entire world at, at one go. You're doing it in bits and pieces, pieces that you can control, you can manage. You can curate nicely, uh, develop properly, attract the right kind of talent and businesses and people to, to, to assemble that together. But the impact it can have is substantial. You know, the per capita GDP contribution of every person working in the DIFC it was, was six times that of somebody in Dubai. It, it you know, worked out to a quarter million dollars per person. That was the contribution just one person working in the DFC uh, made. And at the end of right, like last year, we had twenty-five thousand people working in the district, right? So you're 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 effectively uh, curating something for a very specific purpose. But when you do that, you're able to get get a significantly higher impact to the GDP and significantly higher impact to all the efforts that you're doing. And then you can replicate that in other environments as well. And what happens is because people see the difference, you know, the rest of Honduras will also, all the other municipalities in Honduras would say, hey, you know what, even we can improve our governance, we can improve our effectiveness, a one-stop shop way of doing business. And the entire country benefits from that. Uh, so it's Prospera in the true sense. It's not just Prospera for that district, but it's, it's, it's a wider, benefit to the country so and hopefully to larger parts of central america as well as uh, 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 you know regional um, um, environments that can benefit from something like this yeah that's exactly right we um we often talk about prospera being an example not just to the rest of honduras but to central america and even the rest of the world um to kind of show how this can be done right this sustainable development and the unleashing of untapped potential can happen in a way that is inclusive of the local community in a way that highlights Honduras and in a way that brings the best of Central America and the best of Honduras and the best of the world together. Um, so that, that you kind of hit the nail on the head of exactly what Prosper is trying to do as well. And, and hopefully we see a lot more of these things pop up, not just around the world, 
uh, but also in Central America and also in Honduras as well. We'd love nothing more than to have um, a, several, 10 more companies building an even better version of Prospera in Honduras because at the end of the day, uh, while it might make us a little less profitable, it makes the Honduran people orders of magnitude more prosperous, which is the whole point of this entire exercise. So um, I got one last question for you, Shirak. Um, and you can answer this one with relation to the entire city of Dubai or just DIFC, uh, your pick. What is one thing about Dubai or the DIFC that is your like favorite kind of hidden thing that I, as a visitor, as a foreigner, would never be able to find? How about DIFC? Yes, either DIFC or anywhere in the whole city. What's kind of your favorite secret city thing that only you know, because you've lived there, that I would never be able to find as a foreigner visiting? You know, what, what you would kind of not find as a foreigner visiting is uh, the, or maybe you do and you don't, but, but it's the soul of Dubai, you know, it's the soul of doing things which are different and, uh, and ma making it work and executing it well. So you, you kind of see all these marvelous structures and all these constructs. You know, everybody can design these and put it on paper and kind of build, build these or whatever, right? But the, the 360 degree approach of making things work in more than just about just constructing stuff and so on and so forth is, is somewhere in the soul of the city and how people are wired, uh, which, which is so unique. And so if, Having worked here now for 15 years, you can feel it and it's kind of in, ingrained in you that you just don't think about all these constructs in thin air. It's a, you got to make it all work together. And the, the proof of the pudding is when actually people are living here, working here and contributing to uh, them, their own development as well as the development of the city. So uh, people see these glitzy buildings and they say, wow, you know, we can build this and we can build this and we can do this and we can do that but it's all about execution. I love it. I love the focus on execution. It kind of reminds me of every time I go to Manhattan, it's like I get this vibration of energy that's in the air almost, like a, almost a manic energy, like you just want to do something. So I know exactly what you mean. Um, awesome. Well, listen, Shrek, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Um, it's been very enlightening. And uh, this has been the Epicenter Podcast with Shrek Shah. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs>